Uh, last week, uh, we started talking about how everybody has a story. Uh, you have a story, I have a story, we all have a story, and everybody's story is different. Uh, my story is not your story, and your story is not my story. And if we're ever going to understand each other, at some point, we're going to have to learn each other's story because it's impossible to understand where we come from and why we do the things that we do if we really don't understand each other's story. But everybody's story is different, and everybody's story matters. And it doesn't matter how boring you think your story is or how convoluted or complicated or dramatic you think your story is, everybody's story matters. Every person you will ever look eyeball to eyeball with, their story matters just as much as yours does. And so when we talk about this story of ours, it's composed and it's shaped by all of our experiences. And you can think back over your life, you can think back about all the experiences that run the full spectrum of the human experience, uh, from painful to joyful. And all of those experiences, they help shape and compose your story. Your choices, my choices, our relationships, uh, our successes and failures help to write our story. Uh, the things that brought us joy, the things that brought us pain, uh, they help to compose our story. The things that we had control over, and, and then the things that we were powerless Concerning, the things that we, we couldn't have controlled one way or the other. All of those things help form our story. It forms your story and my story, and, and we're calling it the story of our life. Uh, it's the experiences of our lives that if they were words, they would be like words written upon our heart. And these words grew into sentences and then they emerged into chapters and then themes developed. And then over time, a story began to surface and that's your story and that's my story. We can't go back and change it. Uh, we can't go back and pretend that it didn't happen. It's, it's our story, whether we like it, we don't like it, whether it was really painful or whether it's been, you know, it's been a pretty good ride, wherever it is and wherever you fall in, it's our story, it is what it is and we have to own it and we have to understand it. And so when we think about your story, we think about my story and our story, the reason that this is a big deal and the reason we're talking about it is this, our stories tell our history. It tells people where you came from and how you got to where you are. And there's a story behind that. It, it constructs our identity, your, your, your ideas about who you are and why you are who you are, and what you believe you can be, and what you believe that you can't be. That all comes from your story. It also forms our reality, our perspective of reality, our interpretation of what's real and not real, what's true and what's not true. And then it ultimately shapes our destiny because when you put all these things together, it's influencing everything in your life and my life. And so ultimately it will shape the direction that we're heading and ultimately the destiny where we wind up. So our stories and what we believe our stories to be and how we tell our stories to ourselves and how we tell these stories to other people, it's extraordinarily important because it colors how we see life. You see life the way that you see life because of your story. And the reason that you may see life differently than somebody else is because your story is different than their story. Our stories color the way we see life. It colors how we see each other. And ultimately, and most important of all, it can color how we see God himself, which is why Solomon said, above all else, I mean, most important, above all other things we could talk about, he says, guard your heart for everything. Everybody say everything. Everything you do flows from it. And so that automatically feels really important. He says, we are living our lives right now out of whatever story has been written upon our heart. He said, all of our life flows from our heart and the stories that reside in our heart. 
our individual histories, our sense of personal identity, our view of reality, all of those things converge in your life and mine every single day. And it influences every decision, every relationship, every action and reaction of our lives. And that's why this should feel really important. And this is why we're devoting a few weeks to talking about this. Because when you put all the stuff from your past and all the stuff in the present and all the family stuff and all the tragedy and all the drama and all of that stuff, when you just put all of it together into your story, this helps explain, or at least it does for me, it helps explain why our life often looks and feels like a mess. And as we talked about last week, mess is what we all have in common. Your life's a mess to some degree, my life's a mess, we're all a mess, it's part of the human condition. Which brings us to Jesus, because Jesus came into the world, he waded into the mess, he met us in the mess, and by the way, if you're in a mess today, you feel like you're in a mess, you feel like your world's a mess, that's where God loves to meet us. It's an opportunity to meet God. That's what the mess has always been. It's an opportunity to meet God. And so Jesus came and Jesus showed up. He stepped into the mess and then he offered himself as a solution to the mess. And he says, if you will invite me in, I will enter into your story, not to rewrite it, but to redeem it. I will edit your story for my glory and for your good. And he does this by offering us life, not just life, but new life. He offers to us a new reality that he invites us into. He speaks new truth over your life and my life. And then out of that newness emerges a new story, a new storyline a better story, a better storyline. And so this is where we left off last week, that because of Jesus, what used to be true about me, what used to be true about you, is no longer what's most true about me. It's no longer what's most true about you. So last week when we left here, we looked at this verse by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul, he, he takes us into the heart of God, and he says, if, you, if, you've ever, if you've ever been curious about how God feels about you, I'm about to tell you. If you ever really wanna know how God thinks about you, I'm about to take you into the mind of God and I'm gonna show you once and for all how God feels about you and how God thinks about you. Because on some level, we all have ideas about how God thinks and feels about us. And depending on how you were raised and depending on what type of church you may have been reared in or you know all of that stuff, depending on all of those influences, you have some ideas or you have carried around some ideas about how you think about you know, what you think God thinks about when he thinks about you or how God feels when he thinks about you. And so Paul, he takes us into the heart of God, takes us into the mind of God and says, okay, right now in real time, this moment, I'm gonna show you how God thinks and feels about you. He says, this is the new truth. This is the new reality. This is the new identity that you have because of Christ, because you've followed Jesus, because you've invited him into your story. He says, for we are God's masterpiece, like right now, like not someday, one day, but right now, this very moment, he says, when God thinks about you, feel how God feels about you, he says, is best described as God sees you as a masterpiece. No matter what's gone down, no matter how messy your life is, no matter how many mess ups, no matter how many mistakes, doesn't matter. God looks at you right now and says, you're my masterpiece. And God says, I'm not angry with you. Now you may be angry with you, but I'm not angry with you. I'm not disappointed with you. Now you may be disappointed in you, but God says, I'm not disappointed in you. I've not given up on you, God says, even though you may have given up on yourself. Because when I look at you, I see a masterpiece. I see a work of art. I see an extraordinary story that's unfolding. And God says, when I look at you, I'm proud of you. I mean, just, just try to connect with that for a moment. He says, I look at you, I'm proud of you. 
You bring my heart joy. You bring a smile to my face. You are my masterpiece. I am writing a story of all stories with and through your life. He says, that's how God feels about you. That's how God thinks about you right now. And then he goes on, he says, he has created us anew because this is all new. This is new truth. This is new reality. This is a new identity. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So again, let me just make sure we're all on the same page. Paul says that when you decided to follow Jesus, and as Jesus says, you experienced this, this rebirth, this being born again, this spiritual birth. He says, you are no longer who you used to be. There are some things that are different. There are some things that are passing away. And what used to be true of you is no longer what's most true about you because we have been made new. It's like we're a new person, but yet we're the same person. He says, this is, this is all new. It's a new reality. It's a new identity. So you've been made new. There's new truth that's true of your life. And so, you know, this is, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. So, am I a mess? Somebody comes up, you come up and he says, you know, Trevor, tell me, are, are you a mess? And, and if you could look into my heart, if you could look into my brain, if you could just follow me around, you know, for about three days, 24 seven, you know, you wouldn't have to ask the question. Uh, neither would anybody else if they did the same for you. Yes, I'm a mess. That is true of me. It is a true statement. I am a mess. You know, if we were having a meeting, hello, my name is Trevor and I'm a mess. All right. That's how we could introduce each other. Matter of fact, maybe that's how we should meet each other at the doors on Sunday. Hello, my name is John and I am a mess. Well, my name is Bill and I'm a mess as well. Well, good to meet you, fellow messer. And, and you know, so that's the camaraderie that we have. All right. And, and Paul says, okay, here's how this works out. Am I a mess? Yes. Is that true of me? Yes. But don't miss this. It's not what's most true about me. Am I a mess? Yes, but what's most true about me? I am God's masterpiece. That's the new truth that trumps the old truth. This is the new reality that trumps the old reality. Yes, I'm a mess, but what's most true about me is that God says I'm a masterpiece. Do I fail? Uh, yes, I, I fail every day. I, I fail in small ways, I fail in big ways. But even though that's true about me, it's not most true about me. What's most true about me is that all of my failures, all of my sins have been forgiven. That's what's most true about me. Have I lost battles this week with temptation? Have I lost battles with self-control? Yes, that's true about me. That's true about you. But what's most true about me is I've ultimately won the war. And the victory that Christ won on the cross has been given to me. And I am more than a conqueror through Christ who gave himself for me. So that's what's most true about me. And so we could just keep on teasing that out, but, but as good as that sounds, and it sounds good, right? That just almost too good to be true. It's like, yeah, that sounds wonderful, but it's also frustrating. It's also a bit irritating because for many of us, if not for most of us, it doesn't feel true most of the time. It doesn't feel true. We don't emotionally connect with this new truth, this new reality. We're stuck like feeling like a failure. We're, we're stuck in feeling like a loser. We're, we're stuck in those old stories when, when God says, hey, I'm writing a new story. I'm writing a better story with your life. And those things are no longer what's most true about you. It's hard for us to feel it emotionally. We, we might even say we believe it. You know, some of you, you, you know, you're 
shaking your head and, and maybe you know, you're even thinking about saying amen. Don't worry, you won't scare me. I don't think you'll scare anybody else. But it's like, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's what's most true about me. And, and we believe it when we hear it, but when we try to live day to day, we just don't feel it. We believe it, but we don't feel it. And that leads to a problem because we find it difficult to overcome the past. Our past failures, our past screw ups, our past that has pain and tragedy and missteps and all of those things which are deeply embedded into the stories of our heart. It's hard for us to move past it. And how we feel is not the same thing that God says is what's most true about us. So here's the question, what do we do? What do you do when what God says is true about you doesn't feel true to you? What, what do we do with that? When God says, okay, these are the things that are most true about you, but it doesn't feel true to you. Well, what do you do when God says you're more than a conqueror, but you feel like a failure? What do you do when God says, hey, you're forgiven, but you feel like a failure? You carry around the residue of guilt and shame. What do you do when God says you're loved, but you, you always feel like God is angry at you? You feel unloved by God. What, what do you do when God says, okay, you're a masterpiece, but you, you, you just can't get past feeling like a mess. Or, you know, what do you do when God says, I've given you abundant life, but you feel dead on the inside. Or God says, I, I've given you joy and peace, but you're discouraged and, and, and you're panicked on the inside. Or God says, you're strong, but you feel weak. God says, you're whole, but you feel broken. God says, you're useful to me, but you feel useless to God. God says right now you are holy and you are righteous, but yet you can't shake this feeling of just being unclean before God. God says, I don't condemn you, but you feel the weight every single day of condemnation. God says you're complete. You don't lack anything, but yet you feel like something's missing in your life. God says, I'm with you. Right now, I'm with you. I'm beside of you. I'm walking through life with you, but yet you feel distant from God. When, when our faith and our feelings go in different directions, that's frustrating, that's exhausting. That's when people like us Christians, that's when we think about walking away. That's when we make some really bad decisions. That's when we decide, you know what? Faith may not be for me, or maybe I shouldn't believe the things that I believe because I, I, just, can't, I just can't get there emotionally. I just can't feel it. I, there, there's just something, there's a disconnect between what I say I believe and how I feel. My faith and my feelings are running in different directions. And when that happens, it's a less than ideal reality, which is where many of us live most of our lives is in the reality in between what we say we believe and how we feel. So again, let me ask a question a little bit different. What do you do when your faith and your feelings are in conflict with one another? What do you do? Is that the normal? Is that the way that it has to be? Is that the way that it must be? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something broken me? Is there something broken you? Or, or, or is this something common? Is this something that men and women and, and followers of Jesus have had to wrestle with and struggle with since the beginning of faith? And I think it is, but I don't think we have to settle for it. I don't think that this is indicative of the abundant life or the significant life that Jesus said, hey, this is how I want you to experience your life. But even though our faith and our feelings may run in different directions, does it have to be that way forever? Now, I told you last week, and, and man, I tell you, I was nervous about today. I really was. Um, 
And I told you I was gonna tell you a little bit of my story and I've got a long story and you don't have time for all of my story and you don't wanna hear all of my story. Maybe you do, but you shouldn't. Uh, But maybe you should. Maybe I would make more sense to you if you knew all of my story. But I'm gonna try to, to tell you about a particular season of my life recently and try to be as open and honest about it as possible. Because this right here is one of my greatest struggles. This has been one of my greatest struggles since I came to faith in Christ at 16. There was a period in my life I told you that I walked away from faith. I decided, you know, nobody who can think, you know, straight would ever believe all of this stuff. And and so then I I decided I didn't believe. And then there's a whole story of how I circled back around to faith. But, But for as long as I can remember, the greatest struggle of my life has been what I would call this, this divorcement between my faith and my feelings. And I'm, I'm a, I mean, before I was a pastor and I was, I was just a church person, a Christian, a Jesus follower, just like many of you. But yet that was still part of my story. It's been one of my great struggles, even though I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was a historical person, that Jesus died for my sin on a cross and that he was buried and that God resurrected him from the dead on the third day. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that there's great reason and evidence to believe that. I believe the scriptures. I believe they are the word of God. I believe the scriptures. I I read them. I love them. I study them. I, I, I believe it. I really do. But yet so much of my faith experience has been the struggle to bring my faith and my feelings together. Now, I know that feelings are not supposed to lead my faith. If I allow feelings to lead my faith, that takes me down some really bad roads. I'm supposed to have a faith that that brings along my feelings, but for some reason, there's just been this disconnect, and and it came to a head a couple of years ago. Uh, In the spring of 2019, I basically lost the ability to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I'd never had a problem sleeping a day in my life. I'm the type of person you lay down, you know, and my head hits the pillow and give me 30 seconds, give me 60 seconds and I'm out and I'm out till morning. I'm out until when it's time to wake up. But back in the spring of 2019, I just lost the ability to sleep. I I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't sleep for longer than an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And then I would just wake up every single day at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and and with no hope of going back to sleep. And and that was not the norm for me. I I knew something was wrong, uh, but I just kind of kept on rolling. I I thought maybe I'm just a little stressed and, you know, there's, you know, building projects and the church continues to grow and, you know, it's just life itself. And, you know, so I just, you know, hey, you just got to push through. You got to get up in the morning. You got to go to work. I mean, you know, what 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 other choices are there? And so then as I rolled into to summer, nothing had really changed. I, I was still going through this sleepless pattern and, and it, was just, it was just torture. I mean, I was tired, I was exhausted, but I couldn't sleep. And I, I would think that I'm about to go to sleep in a chair and then I would go to bed and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I can't sleep. And then on summer vacation, we were in Sarasota, Florida, Allison and me and the boys, and, and we had been there maybe for a couple of days and, and Allison and I went walking on the beach and. So we walked all the way down and we walked all the way back up and she said, I'm gonna go check on the boys. And I said, fine. And, and I just kept walking and I was just thinking and I guess I was praying a little and just thinking about some of the things that were going on in life at that moment. And, and, and something happened. I mean, I mean something, something just broke in me and I just started, I just, 
I just started weeping. I, I couldn't stop crying, and, and that's a bit weird on the beach. And uh, so I, I'm standing there, and I've got my sunglasses on my head, so I pull my sunglasses down over my eyes, and, and I'm like, I'm just gonna sit down. And I just sat down in the sand, and I just cried. I just cried till I couldn't cry anymore, and I had really no idea what I was crying about, and I knew, boy, something is off. Something's wrong. What is, what is, what is going on? And, but vacation ends and, you know, I, I still, I do what I do and I'm scheduled to preach and life goes on. And we were starting a series that July here at the church called the future of faith. And we were talking about the next generation and it was the most excruciating time of my life. I was terrified of Sundays, terrified. I would get so sick on Sunday evenings. I would get so sick on Sunday mornings. I was so afraid I had nothing else left to say. I had nothing in my tank to offer anybody else. And it was just, it was just a horrible, horrible feeling. And, but yet, what do you do? Same thing you do. I show up, put a mic on, got up in front of all of you and things just kept going. And you didn't know it. And lots of people that I were close to didn't know it. But boy, my whole, my whole world was just, it was being ripped apart. And, and the things that I said I believed were so far away from how I, how I felt. And then August came around. And August is the time of the year in our church where we typically you know, talk about mission and vision and we talk about the future. And, and, and we did a series that August called That Church. And, and the first Sunday of August, I was driving to church early in the morning and I was scheduled to preach and, and I, I, I got about halfway between my house and the church and, and I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, my, my, my chest was hurting. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I, I, I just, my head was hurting and I thought I, thought I was dying. I, thought I, was, I pulled off the side of the road and, and I, I thought to myself, I, I don't wanna go to church today. I don't wanna preach today. But I can't call in sick, it's 7.15. I guess I could, but boy, I'm throwing somebody under the bus if I do. And, and, and they know if I'm calling in at 7.15, you know, something, something's up. So it's like I sit there for a minute and, and I tried to get myself back together and, and I came on to church and, and I, I did my deal. And I just, you know, you just do what you do and you just kind of push through. And, and that happened all through that series, every single week, it was, just, it was just some of the most horrible, horrible days of my life. I started thinking about death. I started thinking about death a lot. I started thinking about, boy, this is, and just all these just thoughts. And I was like, you know what? I am, I am not in a good place. I am not in a good place at all. So I sent an email to a friend and I said, I'm not sure if you'll respond to this, but I've seen what you've written about this. I've heard you talk about this. Here's how I feel and I'm a little worried about myself. Would you give me a call? And within like 10 minutes, this friend of mine called and, and it was the first time really that I, I talked about how I felt because you go home, you know, you got two kids, you got a wife, you know, you got to be dad, you got to be husband, you got to be pastor. You, get, you know, we had dinner with friends, so you got to be friend and, you know, and, and all of those things, you know, life just kept going on. But boy, in the inside, it was like faith and faith and feelings were moving in two different directions. And, and I don't know why I, I thought, you know, 
God wanted me to share this and maybe it's for you and maybe it'll be for you one day. But, but I went back and I, I, I tried to find a journal of mine from August of 2019. And I thought I would read uh, some of the words that I, I wrote one morning, just to give you a little insight that maybe you're not alone. And maybe this might help explain where you might be in your faith journey. I wrote that morning, I said, my soul feels as dark as it is outside at this very moment. My breathing feels forced. Breathing is just not as natural as it used to be. I'm not happy, but I'm also not in pain. I think I'm just numb. I'm not sure if I feel anything on the inside. Is my life good? There's so much good in my life. But do I feel any of the good in my life right now? No. Have I accomplished some things? Yeah, I have. Do I feel like I've done anything worthwhile in my life? No, I don't. I should feel different than I do, but I don't. Praying doesn't help. Quoting Bible verses hasn't helped. I feel lost. I feel trapped. Everything seems foggy to me. Every day it feels like I'm having an out-of-body experience. It's crazy, this I know, but I feel lonely and I'm with people all the time, great people, but yet I feel disconnected, I feel, I feel distant. I'm not sure if anyone knows because I know how to smile when I'm supposed to. I know how to force a laugh and I know how to tell a joke to lighten the mood. I know how to play the role of someone who is good and having a good time, but it's also exhausting. It's exhausting to pretend to feel when it's numb. It's exhausting to laugh when you have no joy. It's exhausting, which is why I suppose I'm exhausted. I believe I'm forgiven, but forgiveness feels very distant. It always feels conditional. I believe I'm loved by God, but the feeling of being loved, it, it escapes me. I feel like a failure and I'm not sure why. How can I believe what I believe and feel the way that I feel? Every decision feels paralyzing. I go on to talk about how coming to work, it was just difficult to think. It was difficult to think outside of the moment. People would come to my door and ask a small question about, hey, where do you, where do you wanna go for lunch? And it felt like they were asking me, which, which would, you, would you give up your right kidney or your left kidney? You know, would you rather lose your right leg or your left leg? And, and it all felt so, it all just, everything felt so big and everything felt so heavy. So I went to Florida, found a psychologist, found a clinic, went, sat down, and my doctor comes in and, and she looks at me and, you know, she says, tell me why you're here. And I told you last week what I told her, I said, well, I'm here because I'm a mess. I am a mess and, and I'm not sure what to do. And so we talked and, and maybe I can share more of that later on, but but I found out lots of things about myself. I found out that I struggle with OCD. I struggle with anxiety that I never thought I had that manifests itself in lots of different ways. I found out that I'm really good at giving everybody else grace, but I keep myself under law. Uh, I'm really good at forgiving everybody else, but I'm my chief persecutor. Um, I work really hard, even though I believe God approves, accepts anyone and God loves everyone. And even though I believe that with all my heart, I live my life trying to get God to love me more and approve me more and to look favorably upon me. And, and, and what my doctor looked at me and she said, okay, here's, what, here's, here's the problem. Your, your faith is not fully integrated. 
It's not fully integrated in your life. And so you have faith and you have feelings and they're not always gonna run in the same direction, but, but it's, you shouldn't think that they're forever divorced because that's what's happening right now. Your faith is this and you believe this, but this is how you feel. Your faith and feelings are out of alignment. And so she quoted to me King Solomon and she goes, you remember what Solomon said? And of course, I know what Solomon said. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I've told people that a thousand times. But let those words settle in for just a minute. As a man thinks in his heart, as a woman thinks in his heart, so is he. And the implication that Solomon is bringing to the table is this, that our lives will never outpace our thoughts. Your life, my life will never outpace our thoughts. The quality of your life will never outpace the quality of your thoughts. And so Solomon brings something very fundamental and profound for all of us to understand and for all of us to learn from. He, he says, our lives moves in the direction of our strongest, th our strongest thoughts. Your life and my life, it's always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Whatever your strongest thoughts are about you or about people, about God, about life, about your past, about whatever it is, your life and my life, our emotions are moving in that direction. Our choices are moving in that direction. Our behavior, our attitude, our mood, our perspective, and ultimately our reality is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts because what we think shapes who we are. And the reason that this is important is because I love, I love where science and faith meets together. And I'm not one of those people who believes you have to forget science in order to embrace faith. I believe that everything that we learn to be true in science is the way that God made us and it's how God designed us. And the way that God designed us is this, that once you begin to have thoughts, at some point in the thinking process, you assign truth to that thought you begin to embrace that particular thought as a truth. And when you assign that thought as a truth, then it becomes a belief. So it begins as a thought, you assign it to be truth, and then it becomes a belief. And that belief begins to be the lens through which you see the world and how you interpret everything that happens around you. And then that belief becomes the filter through which you go through life and I go through life looking through the environments and relationships of our life, looking for evidence that supports what we believe is true. Okay, Here, here's an example. Once upon a time you thought, I'm a failure. I'm a failure, I'm a failure. You said that over and over and over and over and over again in your life until you one day assigned it to be truth. And once it became truth to you, it became a belief for you. And once it became a belief in your mind and in your heart, you went through all of your life, your past story, your present story, you took inventory of everything that happens around you looking for evidence to support that belief. So you begin to dismiss all the good in your life that you've ever accomplished, that you've ever been a part of, and you only concentrate on the bad, on the mess up, on the mistake, on the sin, because it's the one thing that will undergird your belief that you are a failure. And so this can take us in a good direction because you can say, hey, I'm a masterpiece, I'm a masterpiece, I'm a masterpiece. You assign truth to that, it becomes a belief. And once it becomes a belief, you begin to go through life really trying to support that belief. So it can take you in a good direction or a bad direction. These reinforced beliefs become our identity. It's how we think of ourselves. And so we begin to form I am statements. I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that, I am blank. Or I can statements, I can do this, I can't do that, I can do this, I can't do that. And these statements that flow out of your identity, which come from your beliefs, which come from thoughts, which you assigned as truth. 
These become stories that you tell yourself and that we tell others about ourselves. That we're not good enough or we're unlovable or that we're a failure or there's no hope for us or we're the exception to the rule. And then as we tell these stories, we take steps in that direction and then it becomes our reality. And that's what Solomon's talking about. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It began as a thought, then it became a truth, then it became a belief, then it became a story, then it became an action, and then it became your life and my life. It became reality. And so here, here's what he's saying. Our thoughts shape both our understanding and our experience of reality. Now don't let me lose you, because this is, this is really, really good. In your life and my life, there's three headings. There's the things I can control, there's the things I can influence, and there's the things that I can't control. So let's not worry about two and three, let's worry about the things that I can control. And the most important thing that we can control is how we think. And because we can control how we think, we can control how we feel. And because we can control how we feel, we can ultimately control what we do. This is why Jesus, when Jesus showed up on the planet, Jesus' first message was this right here, repent. Right, if you grew up in the church I grew up in, you always thought that this was such an angry term. Repent, repent, you know, but, but it's not, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's such a gross misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of such a wonderful word. The word repent means to change the way you think. Jesus's first invitation to the world was change your thinking. Change your thinking about God, change your thinking about you, change your thinking about other people, change your thinking about sin, change your thinking about what you believe is true and what you believe is false. I have come to offer you new life. But in Jesus's words is this idea that a new way of life begins with a new way of thinking. God may offer you a new way of life. God may offer you new life. He may give you new life, but you'll never experience it. It will never become reality until there is a new way of thinking. Which brings us back to Paul. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. This is reality. He has created us anew. This is new for us. But if we're gonna get there, if we're gonna connect to it, if we're gonna embrace this, if this is gonna become part of our story, we gotta change our thinking. We gotta change our thinking about how God thinks about us and how we think about us and about people and about the story of our life. If not, we end up in conflict between our faith and our feelings. If you're with me, say I am. Okay, so Paul says, if you feel this way, you're not the only person. Because when he gets to chapter four, he talks to a group of Christians that are struggling with a divorce between their faith and their feelings. And so it, this is what he says in chapter four to, to these people. He says, so I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live. So this is your reality. He says, no longer live in the reality that you're living as Gentiles do. In the futility of their what, talk to me? In their thinking. So he says, Gentiles, another way for saying pagans or unbelievers, he says, listen, stop living as though God doesn't exist or God doesn't care. Stop living as though your choices and your thinking doesn't have consequences. Stop living as though life doesn't have a cohesive purpose to it. He says, the reason that you're living that way is not because of your story or what happened to you or that tragedy or any, he says, it's really a thing of thinking. Your faith is not fully integrated into your thinking. So you've not embraced everything fully that God has said is true about you. And because you haven't, there's this disconnect. 
And so my counselor, she looks at me and she goes, listen, you believe these things, you really do, but, but, but there's still this disconnection between what you say you believe and how you feel and, and those things are not moving in the same direction. So you've got to, you've got to unlearn some things. You've got to unlearn some patterns of thinking that have been part of your life forever. And so he goes on and Paul says, that however, you living the way you are, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He says, you've still not fully embraced this, this new truth. The things that used to be true of you, Paul would say, is no longer what's most true about you. He says, when you came to faith, he ushered you into a new reality. He issued you a new identity. He spoke new truth over you, but your thinking has yet to catch up with that. God did that. God kept his promise. God did exactly what God said he was gonna do, but your thinking, my thinking, sometimes it hasn't caught up to that new reality. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, that former reality, that former truth, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new to be made new, to, to embrace this new thing that Christ has done in your life in the attitude of your what? Of your minds. So he's still connecting this idea of our thinking and our faith and, and how all of it needs to be integrated together. So Paul says, if you follow Jesus, there's kind of like two of you. You are a bit of a split personality. So, you know, Paul confirms most of our beliefs about ourselves. We are indeed crazy. He says, okay, there's an old you and there's a new you. And both of those are existing at the same time. And the old you in this old reality, in this old truth, it's still there, it still lingers. But Christ has brought about a new identity, a new reality and new truth. And both of those things are kind of operating in the same sphere at the same time. And he says, you've got to put off the old way. You've got to put off the former. It's like taking off a set of clothes. You take them off and then you put on the new. So Paul, how do we put away the old and how do we embrace the new? He says, by changing the way you think. Paul says, you've been made new. So don't settle for the old. So why do so many of us settle for the old when we've been made new? And he goes on, he says, so put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, he says, the quality of your life right now is directly related to the quality of your thinking. And this was Paul's theme over and over again throughout the New Testament. He would say this in his letter to the Colossians. He says, set your minds, it's your thinking. Focus your thinking on things above and not on earthly things. In other words, you can control your thinking. Somebody who says, I can't help it. That's just the way I think. That's just who I am. Paul says, no, that's garbage. That's not true. You can control how you think. So don't rationalize your thinking and don't justify your thinking. Well, that's just who I am and that's just how I think and I just can't help it. He says, yes, you can. Set your mind, focus your mind, change your thinking. Is it easy? No, if it were easy, all of us would do it. It's not an easy thing to change your thinking. It's not an easy thing to change your mind. So Paul, he would talk about it in other places. He says, so take that thought captive, take it into custody. Whenever there's a thought, that encourages the former way, the old truth, the old reality, the old identity. He says, take that thought captive because it will demolish strongholds. These strongholds are these repeated bad behaviors, this, this repeated unhealthy behavior, this, un, you know, this repeated unhealthy attitude or thinking. He says, take it captive because in doing so, it's gonna have a direct implication on your life. But the, but the most clear thing that Paul said, and we're, we're wrapping this down, was in Romans. 
in his letter to the group in Rome. He says, he says in Romans 12 too, he says, do not conform to the pattern in this world. He says, don't go the old way. Don't live the old way. Don't embrace the old values, the old mentality. Don't, don't go that way, but be transformed. Be changed, be different. How, Paul, how, how do we change? By the renewing of your mind. That's how you change. You change your life by changing your thinking. Changing your life is not just some spiritual, ethereal experience. It's not coming forward, being prayed for, and somebody put a hand on you, you fall down and you get up and boy, everything's different and everything's better and everything's new. No, you can be prayed for by everybody from here to Florida. You can be baptized so much that every tadpole in the pond knows you by name. You can take communion so much that you've actually put on weight from the carbs, from the communion bread. You, you can do all of that and not be changed and not be different and not feel different. That will only happen, Paul says, as you change your thinking. Things can change if you change the way that you think. So Paul says, think about for just a moment, your mindsets. Think about those repeating thought patterns in your brain and in your head that are tied to your story, that keep holding you back maybe, that keep robbing you of life. And Paul says, okay, I wanna encourage you to learn how to think in a way that's greater than your experience. I wanna challenge you to think in a way that is greater than the pain of your past. I wanna encourage you to learn how to think in a way that is larger than the sin in your life, that, that's greater than the circumstances of your life. And, and this is wonderful, and I could tell you about it before, uh, I've told you about it before, but I, I don't have time to tell you, but, but the way that God wired the brain and made the brain, so, it's just so fascinating, and, and neuropsychology, they're, they're learning so much about the brain. And, but the way that God wired your brain to work and the way he made my brain to work was that thoughts, thoughts form connections. And whenever thoughts in your brain get related to each other, they form a pathway. It's a synaptic you know, connection. It becomes almost like a little highway, a little road. And the more you have those same thoughts and the more those thoughts get connected you know, about who I am and what I can and about my story and the things you tell yourself, the more you think those things, it becomes like a rut. And there's a chemical release every time you have that thought and every time that connection is reaffirmed. And once that chemical reaction takes place, it becomes stronger in its connection. And sooner or later, those thoughts get embedded into the architecture of our brains. And this is what Paul says. He says, but you can undo that unhealthy architecture of your brain. You can undo those unhealthy thought patterns of your brain by thinking new thoughts. And when you do the hard work of thinking new thoughts, there's new connections. And the more you think those good thoughts and those healthy thoughts, those connections get stronger and then they form a network. And the more you think and the stronger that network gets and then you form good ruts, healthy ruts. And then all of a sudden you're seeing all of life different because you are rewiring, you are renewing your mind to think in a different way that matches up with what God says is most true about you. So he says, our problem is a thinking problem. And if we want to address the problem, we address the problem with our thinking. So you say, okay, that's good. That's good. What do I do? What do I do about it? Here's what you can do about it. And we'll pick it up here next week. Identify the lies that you believe are true about you. What are they? What, what, what is it that you tell yourself about you? Your failure, you're no good. 
You tell yourself that you can't. You tell yourself you're unlovable. You tell yourself you're worthless. You tell yourself you need to try harder to get God to love you more. What, what is it? You, you tell yourself you're no better than your worst moment. You tell yourself you can't be forgiven. You, you tell yourself that you can never you know, do this. You can never be that. You tell yourself that God is just perpetually angry with you. What, what, what are those things? What are the lies that you believe to be true about you that you have just bought into over and over and over and over and over again? And once you identify them, once you identify them, you replace the lies about you with what God says is most true about you. You replace it, replace the lie with the truth, with what God says is true about you. So one day my doctor says, hey, go back to your room, go back to the hotel room. And I want you to spend the rest of the afternoon, I want you to spend about four or five hours and I want you to write out the lies that you believe about you. And then I want you to attach truth to it. So I went back and I spent some time and I'm not gonna read them all to you, but I said, when the lies tell me I don't have what it takes, I will remind myself that I have who it takes living inside of me. When the lies tell me I'm a failure, I will remind myself that I'm forgiven fully, freely, forever, that my sins have been paid for and they're all washed away. When the lies tell me that I'm unlovable, I will remind myself that God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son to die for me. I will remind myself that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When the lies tell me that I'm condemned, I will remind myself that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn me, but to save me. And he says to me, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. When the lies tell me that I'm a mess, I will remind myself that as far as God is concerned, I am a masterpiece. I am an extraordinary story still yet unfolding. When the lies tell me that I've lost the battle, I will remind myself that I have won the war, that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ because thanks be to God who has given me the victory. When the lies tell me that God is through with me, I will remind myself that God never gives up on me. I am his son, I'm in his family, I have a seat at his table. I'm still breathing, I'm not done. When the lies tell me my history has robbed me of my future, I will remind myself that my past is forgiven and my future is secure because of who Christ is and what he's done for me. When the lies tell me that I'm alone, I will remind myself that you're always with me, you're always for me, that you never walk away from me. And I would encourage you to do the same. You gotta figure out what lies you've believed about you and then you gotta learn how to speak what God says is most true about you over those things. And then repeat it. Repeat the truth to the lies until you silence the lies. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you may be two years in a process and still not be there yet. Two years later, you, you may be doing your very best to continue to bring faith and feelings a little closer together. But when you speak to the lies with truth, you're putting the pen in God's hand to say, God, I want you to begin to not only edit my story, but help me write a better story. And last week we said, God does not rewrite our stories, but he redeems our stories. And as God redeems my story, I must learn and you must learn to rethink and retell our stories. We have to learn to retell it. One day I'm gonna tell my story to my boys and my grandkids. And I often think about what story do I wanna tell? One day, I don't know how you imagine the new world to come or 
heaven or whatever you love to refer to it as. When I refer in my brain to the new world to come or my mind or my imagination, I, I imagine that in the new world to come and all the things that we're gonna enjoy and all the things that we're gonna do, I imagine that we'll bump into each other and we'll say, tell me your story. Tell me how you got here. Tell me about the former things. And then we'll learn to rethink our stories in a way that we've never been able to think about them before. And we'll be able to retell our stories in a way that we've never been able to tell them before. And we'll tell the story of how we're sinners. So much sin in our story that got overcome by grace. All the failure will tell of our stories, but not because the failure is the main character, but because God's forgiveness has overtaken every single failure. We'll talk about the pain, but not because of any other reason than we are able to see God's purpose and see God's promises fulfilled in it. Failures of the past get swallowed up in the grace and the goodness of God. And, but until we can tell those stories perfectly, we have to learn to rethink them and retell them in this life. And I want you to start thinking about how to retell your story. A story that there's so much bad, but yet God is good. A story where there's so much sin, but there's so much more grace. There's failure, but there's forgiveness. There's pain, but there's purpose. And learn to retell those stories from the perspective of God's goodness and grace. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help us to rethink about the things that you say are most true about us. That you say we are loved and we are forgiven, that we are a masterpiece, that we are your sons and daughters, that we are holy and we are righteous, we are justified, we are sanctified, one day to be glorified. That God in you, we can do all things. Through you, we are conquerors. God, I pray that you would help us embrace this new reality, this new truth, and that it becomes part of the way that we tell our stories. Because the story that we will tell will be one of your grace and one of your goodness. How you were always there, no matter what. And you stepped into the mess and you turned it into a masterpiece. In Jesus' name.